My name is David Orban, and I am very glad to have all of you following the show. Before we start, I want to remind you that even if we are live, you can always watch past episodes both on Facebook and on YouTube. And on YouTube, you can also subscribe to the channel. We also have a Discord community, and I invite you to join on davidorban.com Discord. And finally, if you find the show valuable, as well as the other content that I produce and the knowledge that I share, you're welcome to become a supporter on Patreon at patreon.com slash David Orban. We deepen our knowledge of the world and we use technology to go beyond what unassisted humans are able to do and to know. This is valid for what we know about our bodies as well. Implants with sensors are increasing in capacity and availability to be used with smart data collection to learn and improve our health. Today's guest is Hannes Sapiens, founder of Disruptive. Hannes is a member of the Digital Biology Faculty at Singularity University Nordics. He works as Chief Disruption Officer at Epicenter Stockholm, where he advises companies and organizations on how to navigate accelerating technological transformation. He's also a biohacker and a co-founder at the Swedish Association of Biohackers, where he works to democratize access to powerful biotechnologies and gained notoriety for hosting chip implant parties around the world. He has small children at home in lockdown with him, so we decided to record our conversation earlier to avoid disruption. The name of his startup, Disrupt Notwithstanding. I will now start sharing the recording of our conversation and you are welcome to ask questions and make comments as normally you would. I will stop the video to show your questions and answer them. And we may also have Hannes uh, chime in from uh, Facebook or YouTube, where, wherever he chooses to be, uh, with or without his children, but uh, just uh, on the keyboard. So uh, here is Hannes. Do the introduction. Uh, on uh, my own uh, small uh, window alone and then I say and uh, welcome Hannes. Brilliant. Uh, so uh, let's talk about how you arrived to where you are. What brought you here? Uh, what experiences uh, made you who you are? Mm -hmm. Right, we're rolling. Um, so um, I am an entrepreneur. I am um, also a biohacker and a transhumanist. I am driven and motivated with the idea that the human condition is uh, needs improvement. And uh, I want to help create that change with the application of novel technologies. And uh, being of a business background, I worked for many years in finance and in high tech. I think entrepreneurship and uh, business innovation are the best ways to bring these technologies to as many people as possible. And and uh, contrary to other types of approaches where uh, people uh, work under self-imposed limits, biohackers and transhumanists are happy to go beyond those limits and keep experimenting. Of course, 
that doesn't mean with uh, no rules and no regulations and in total anarchy, but it means to have a healthy disrespect for the wisdom of the past and to try to understand what we can aim to do today that couldn't be done yesterday, right? A hundred percent. I mean, like the classic saying, if the kids of the cavemen had obeyed their parents, we'd still be living in caves. So uh, every generation has to challenge the status quo, has to, to question the biases and say, why are we accepting this? And maybe there are ways in which we can challenge the status quo, remove suffering and open up all these opportunities. And, and right now, I think we live in the most brilliant of times because we have marvelous opportunities. So within, in particular, the democratization of powerful biotechnologies such as genetic testing, uh, wearable sensors and similar, where we can really augment, for example, the human uh, body system and also uh, our, our cognitive systems in uh, ways which can has the potential to transform the human experience. Uh, in the Middle Ages, uh, the human body was uh, sacred and violating the human body uh, was uh, a capital offense. Uh, mm. uh, scientists, uh, Renaissance mm. uh, uh, polymaths uh, like Leonardo, Mm. who were driven by the thirst of learning about uh, the human body, had to actually steal cadavers uh, uh, in order to be able to dissect them in secret uh, mm. because uh, it, it wasn't allowed. Mm. And uh, fortunately, uh, we moved beyond that. Otherwise, we still wouldn't understand uh, uh, how the, the body is, is, is made, uh, what is the role of uh, the organs, how the eye works. Uh, there are famous uh, uh, codices uh, from Leonardo where uh, he uh, uh, would show the inner working uh, of a human eye and uh, a little macabre uh, detail. He had to boil it so that he could cut it because otherwise it is too liquid, it's, right? Exactly, it'll come apart. It's fascinating that you bring up the eye as an example, David, because in fact, the human eye often used as an uh, example of, of the marvel of, of evolution, right? The, this marvelous piece of, of flesh that actually allows you to see things that are millions of miles away and pick up the uh, incredible range of, of nuances of light. It's in fact pretty shitty design. <laughs> if you look at the eye uh, in, in numerous animal contexts, um, the human eye uh, is uh, the back of the eye in the retina is actually flipped backwards. So all the nerve ends that pick up the signal were positioned on the wrong side, which means that we have to make a hole in the in the paneling to get the, the optical cable out to bring the information out. It's like having the, the input cable for your TV in front of the screen. And, 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 uh, and it is also the example I always bring up to show people on one hand that, that nature is lazy. Uh, extremely yeah. wasteful, uh, mm -hmm. uh, will kill uh, billions uh, and tens of billions of individuals, will extinguish thousands and millions of species, mm -hmm. but at the same time, as soon as it finds something that works, it stops trying. Mm -hmm. uh, and it doesn't even look beyond the horizon asking itself, is there something better? Uh, it reinvents the same thing over and over, 
and and doesn't learn from its own mistakes if they are outside the bound of sexual reproduction until the emergence of man which gave life itself the opportunity to do have this foresight to have this this design thinking to to actually begin to explore the opportunities of what if and what if we would free ourselves from the paradigms of biological evolution that Let me pause there for a moment because I want to reshare the screen natively with its own um, audio so that I can mute myself, uh, which I was afraid to do before because there are too many dogs barking around, even if uh, they are not mine. Uh, and uh, I will do better like this. Only allows to take very, very incremental steps. Uh, what if we can aim for different planets? And, and this is the curiosity and passion that uh, is driving transhumanists in general and, and you specifically mm. uh, in understanding how the human condition can be improved, not only and merely through the tools that we already have, mm -hmm. through our body, through our cognition uh, mm -hmm. that we were born with, but uh, through technology and our knowledge of how to apply technology and, and what we learn in science about our bodies and the universe mm -hmm. uh, to, to radically improve the original design. Exactly. Taking the tools that we get through technology and combining them with the unique ability of us humans to have uh, to create visions of the future, far-reaching, uh, ambitious visions of what we could be and i am and have for a large part of my my life been deeply fascinated with this so for me it has really not been an option to work with anything else rather than exploring these opportunities on how we can improve the human condition through technology now among the different things i've done is to start a company called uh, disruptive and we call ourselves a human augmentation design agency because we design and offer these technologies to the mass market, uh, which have the potential to uh, transform and augment the human experience. And, uh, and Disruptive itself uh, uh, has been born from your experience with sensors and implants. So uh, um, if we talk about implants, uh, uh, probably we are not talking about uh, these kinds of implants, uh, breast implants, uh, which were the first result uh, that came up uh, uh, when, when I, when I uh, put uh, the word implant in, in, in Google. But at the same time, when I mentioned it to you, you said, that's perfect. Why, why did you react so uh, positively to that example? Not that there is anything wrong with breast implants, but uh, I Obviously didn't not. They're brilliant. It would, be, it would be something you had comment on. Maybe it has to do also with your uh, browser history, David, that the Google decides to serve you. <laughs> Maybe okay. it's the city you're in that people have an interest. Uh, who knows, right? That's for Google to answer. But no, I am equally interested in all technologies which are applied to modify the human body and to augment the functions and the aesthetics uh, of the human body. And that obviously includes technologies that are already completely mainstream, such as breast implants or dental implants, for example. My challenge to those industries is that why in the world you have these world-class surgeons and you have uh, great facilities and you are 
putting these artificial objects with great care into a large number of people, but you're putting stupid implants in. I mean, the functions that you could put in, in for example, uh, implants in the breasts, including sensors for monitoring of disease, uh, pattern, body temperature, uh, you can make them uh, orders of magnitude more valuable to the user than just the aesthetic dimension. You can also um, think of dental implants, for example. We have a huge industry, not just the cosmetic surgeons, but we have a huge industry, which is dentists that put artificial objects in people's mouths, uh, and uh, which uh, today also are stupid, right? We can only use them for chewing and for smiling. Imagine what you could do with smart sensors in your teeth. I, I like to consider the, the dent, the, the the teeth like a server rack where you could put sensors that could log your food, log your snoring, log your speaking activities and whatnot, right? And and imagine the data insights we could get from, from having that mindset to, to dental implants. Um, and uh, uh, there is a, a, a science fiction uh, book uh, series, a trilogy by William Gibson um, agency. Uh, and uh, I don't know if it is the, the title of the trilogy uh, it is the last one, actually, so probably it isn't, um, uh, where uh, uh, people uh, in the future uh, uh, are in, in extremely rich uh, uh, artificial reality uh, environments, and uh, the, the way they interact with that environment is actually uh, touching with their tongue uh, various parts of their dental arch uh, which probably means that they have the kind of uh, implants that you just uh, mentioned. Also, the implants that 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 you have had most uh, experience with already for the past uh, several years mm -hmm. are the, uh, uh, the the chips that are implanted in in, in people's hands. Mm -hmm. uh, I I also have uh, uh, one of those, and mm -hmm. and uh, uh, when I talk about it at conferences. Uh, uh, I actually tell uh, the attendees that uh, they can come and touch uh, my hand and they can feel the chip uh, beneath my skin. And I tell them that when I tell all that other conferences this opportunity at the break, a lot of people would come mm. to say that they absolutely do not touch, do not want, want to touch the chip under my skin that they are, they are repulsed even by the idea. And my remark about that is that it is a very important observation because mm -hmm. they are actually touching not the chip, but the limits of their adaptability, of yeah, their yeah. ability to uh, be in a world where there will be an increasing number of people who say, why, that's normal, you know, I have a mobile phone, I have a chip. David, I think uh, I'm grateful for your work in terms of helping people understand that this technology is easy and safe and becoming mainstream. Uh, I'd just like to toy with the idea that uh, if it was breast implants that you'd, uh, you know, be willing to demonstrate to people, I'm sure you would have a different take up. <laughs> so have, there are many cultural should, dimensions. I to should this. actually tell them, I should tell them next conference, if we ever gonna have physical try. conferences, 
I will tell them, I have two implants, one in my hand and one in my breast. You can pick which one you want to touch. <laughs> but ultimately, I, I honestly don't care where in the body these technologies are applied. And if we can use existing vectors of, of um, aesthetic implants or dental implants to, to get those sensors in the body, that's ultimately what I'm looking for. Because what I want to do is that I want to improve how we understand our own bodies. And this is our core mission at Disruptive, because what we see is that today we can create great companies that um, can have a real-time dashboard of everything that is happening in the company, of cash flow, of web traffic, of inventory and whatnot. So, so we have those tools. But for the most important system in our lives, which is the, the system that keeps us alive, our own bodies, we don't have that kind of insight. We eat something, we take a medication, we can't really tell the effects. And if we try to do so, we need to have all these devices. We may need to have a lab or we need to have thermometers uh, in different parts of our body. So what I want to do is with this technology, well-known, well-established, well-worked through, safe, I want to place tiny devices with sensors that give you, uh, give like an internal eye into the body that gives you a data feed of what is going on in the body in real time. So you can swipe so, so yourself. Yeah. Tell us uh, uh, specifically mm. um, how this implant is mm. and, and how it gets implanted mm. and then how does it communicate uh, with, with, with you or, or, or whoever wants uh, the data. Um, Absolutely. So in essence, this technology is uh, based on the injectable chip implants for several reasons. First of all, this is a, an established technology. We've been applying this in animals at industrial scales with billions and billions of animals being implanted and also tens of thousands of, of people. Uh, the benefit with this technology is that it's, these implants are very tiny, about the size of a large grain of rice. You can inject them under the skin. It takes just a second. It's not a surgical procedure that requires um, you know, any kind of anesthetic or, or uh, um, any particular stitches or anything. You just put the Band-Aid on and then you continue with your day. Um, secondly, this technology, these implants, they are coated 100% in a biocompatible glass casing, which means the body just ignores them. The body doesn't attack them. Otherwise, typically the body is a very hostile system to foreign objects. It will attack uh, anything that it doesn't recognize as friendly. And But these implants are also safe in that regard. And Thirdly, the implants do not have a battery, which means that they are uh, they don't put out any radiation. They cannot transmit any signal independently, which means they cannot be used for surveillance. And then they are powered simply by swiping the smartphone on top of the implants. So it's powered by the magnetic field of, of a phone. And at the same time, you, you swipe your hand or your arm with the, with the phone. The phone alerts the implant, wakes it up, and then it captures the data, let it be temperature, blood sugar, um, pulse, or other important vital parameters. And this will allow us to monitor and have these data not just collected and logged in a nice way, but also with the potential to um, share them remotely for remote diagnostics. And uh, uh, you uh, already have um, 
a certain generation of this uh, uh, in, in, in your hand, just like uh, I do. And mm. so Disruptive is now uh, designing or, of, or has already designed mm. the, the next generation. Uh, one, of, one of the most uh, beautiful components uh, that, that adds uh, aesthetic value, but uh, not at least as I know, um, value in terms of uh, what you can learn about a human body is that uh, you added an LED to the chip itself. Uh, is that right. Uh, correct? Right, exactly. So we we don't underestimate both the aesthetic and the pop cultural value of, of these implants. Uh, so uh, in many of us, the latest generation of implants, uh, we have LED lights. So when you swipe them, they light up. It both It's both practical and it's it's entertaining and, and aesthetically pleasing. And you can choose between a range of different colors. If What color are you? Are you green, blue, red? Uh, take your pick and express yourself. And uh, I mean, back in the old days, people did tattoos. Now we can do a lot smarter things. But for us as a business and looking at the tech roadmap that we have, we see these uh, LED light implants mostly as an illustration of, okay, we can power externally and demonstrate how this technology works in a very, very easy, understandable way. And then we replace the LED light or add uh, on top of it uh, a range of different sensors, uh, optical sensors, accelerometers, uh, and whatnot, in order to also capture biometric data. And uh, uh, tell a bit about uh, possible applications that uh, that you envision um, once uh, these uh, chips of a given mm. generation, mm. which contain certain sensors that you believe can be usefully put inside the glass vial mm. or implanted. And, and do you think these applications will um, appear once we have a billion people uh, with the chips, or or mm. already a thousand can be can be useful. No, in fact, uh, the um, rapid developments in microelectronics and and tiny sensors and IoT applications of of said sensors are making these things available already today. So it's more a question of cost, actually, and also of the technical rollout of these technologies. So. Um, Today, we can design implants that has uh, some sensors. We are limited uh, technically by our decision to stay within a, a complete glass casing. Uh, this allows us to measure certain things, such as temperature, vibration, movement, uh, or various optical things that can be measured through the glass. But we cannot measure, for example, electro uh, things that require chemical sensors, such as blood sugar or cholesterol, simply because that uh, type of sensors have a very limited lifetime uh, in the human body. And we want to create implants that people can have for many years. Speaking of user cases, uh, as you asked for, we can take, for example, um, the ability to monitoring uh, pulse and heart rate for a patient. Uh, instead of having external devices uh, put on, on, on top of you, you simply have a little implant and you swipe them with your uh, personal smartphone. And by way of an app, this is uploaded to your doctor's system and the doctor can call you over the phone and say hey i'd like to listen to your heart and then you just simply hold your smartphone to your heart instead of having a stethoscope or some other more complicated piece of equipment and you can not just listen to for example just a heartbeat but also to uh, the sound of a uh, operated heart valves or 
or other uh, dimensions of how the heart works, such as the electrical patterns of the heart. So that is one user case we're currently actively exploring. But my vision for this technology is not that necessarily that we focus on wealthy um, people living in developed countries that already have a great access to healthcare. I think the greatest contribution that this cheap and very robust technology can have is also in developing countries that may not have the same access to quality healthcare. Imagine if you live maybe, you know, a, a whole day's travel from the nearest uh, health facility. Now, it, it's the only thing you require is that if one person in the village uh, has a smartphone, you can do remote diagnostics. So you can, uh, a child is falling ill or a person is not doing well, you can swipe that person, answer a few questions, and then you can get a much, much better understanding of, of their health state based on these uh, sensors. So that is where I see the, the real impact of this technology. So um, people going to, uh, disruptive.com uh, can sign up for your newsletter, but uh, they cannot buy an implant from you uh, today. Mm. Uh, are you planning to offer these uh, implants to the consumers directly so that they can inject themselves? Uh, mm -hmm. How do you plan to, to provide your solutions uh, on the market? Right, well, Disruptive, we are... Uh very focused uh, technology company. So we design the hardware and software to support these devices. But uh, we think that since the user cases for this technology are, are very diverse and can apl be applied to many different conditions, uh, we don't sell our solutions to consumers. We are a business-to-business -business solutions provider and we, we are happy to uh, sell our systems to uh, companies who can then apply them to their particular user basis, their particular group of patients. And uh, we think this is the best way to scale uh, the impact that we want to do. Uh, I uh, finally found uh, a photo uh, on your Facebook page of, uh, of the LED light uh, mm. in, uh, in the chip. Mm. Uh, now, one thing you mentioned uh, is uh, obviously the natural limits uh, of what uh, sensors you can put in the in the vial. Mm. Uh, nothing that has to directly and chemically examine uh, the body uh, can be used because, mm. well, uh, by definition, the, the glass enclosure isolates uh, the electronics and the sensors. Mm. Um, so in that way, the light that goes out and then gets reflected could be also uh, an important source uh, of uh, of understanding certain uh, certain mechanisms and, and something more than just uh, aesthetic uh, 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 reasons. Um, yes, for spectrometry, for example, this can be applied for measuring uh, blood oxidation, uh, which uh, impacts the color of uh, of the blood and. Uh, by way of both having a light and, and a light sensor, we can actually uh, measure this. Um, one of the things uh, that, I, that I say when I talk about uh, uh, my, my chip is that it is uh, a, a bit silly, uh, but uh, today uh, uh, unavoidable, mm -hmm. that uh, even though the chip uh, is, is in my body, uh, I have to use the phone to read the data on the chip so that it can go through my eyes back into my brain. Mm. 
mm, and mm, that mm. I am looking forward to when the implant is going to be able to communicate with my nervous system directly. And uh, um, we will have uh, Elon Musk uh, as a guest uh, uh, shortly, maybe, or not, we'll see. I'm certainly going to invite him. Uh, but um, I don't know if we will be able to get to Neuralink because there's uh, a lot of things uh, to talk about with uh, with Musk. Uh, because uh, Neuralink, of course, is the company that is just like you are working with uh, uh, glass-enclosed uh, NFC uh, chips uh, to be implanted in the hand. They are working uh, on another kind of implant that is implanted in the brain mm. uh, in order to... Um, capture data that is of a different kind mm. uh, what we are um uh, what our brains are saying to um for example our limbs uh, and and those uh, commands are not getting there because for example we have our spinal cord uh, severed mm. um, and and uh, many of us are are rooting for uh, uh, Neuralink uh, to succeed because we agree with with uh, one of the original points, starting points uh, that Elon Musk highlighted that the bandwidth of mm -hmm. input and output between mm -hmm. the world of data, either mm -hmm. inside our own bodies or outside, and our brain is unbalanced. Mm, mm, mm. Uh, and we need to rebalance this uh, this bandwidth uh, and the ability to both uh, share and absorb uh, knowledge. Um, so, um, what uh, be beyond what uh, uh, disruptive is doing, um, which of course is very concrete and and uh, rather immediate, because you already have prototypes of these chips, and and if I am not mistaken, you are also raising funds uh, uh, in order to. Uh, go to the next stage uh, and um... feel free to get in touch uh, potential investors absolutely but if i may I, i'm happy to comment on the neuralink uh, yes go uh, ahead project so of course on a principal level i love the idea and I, I i would love for it to to happen and be successful but in comparison what we are doing uh, our product can be used by people today and create value for people already today. Unfortunately, I think Neuralink is still a few tech cycles away from being uh, even feasible. So uh, as much as I would love for it to exist, um, we simply, the we don't have the granularity of, of mapping activities in neurons yet. We, we, we just don't have that technology. And uh, I, the best metaphor I have to to describe the complexity of the brain uh, and and our uh, you know futile attempts to understand it is that mm, in, in Sweden we have uh, a lot of trees. Sweden is a large country with a lot of trees, uh, billions and billions of trees, and and by orders of magnitude, roughly as many trees as there are neurons in the brain. And now each of these trees has uh, leaves equal roughly to the amount of synapses between those. Uh, nerve cells in the brain. Now, the best technology we have to measure uh, the brain activity is equivalent to a toothbrush. So <laughs> it has a bunch of hairs and bristles. And good luck. You have a toothbrush. Now, can you please communicate with 
the, the forests of Sweden. And <laughs> the complexity uh, is it, not there yet, right? We Our tools are way too crude. Uh, we need them to get into the nanoscale before we can honestly uh, consider this as a value creating solution. Let's and make it happen by all means, but it's, it's a few years down the road. And uh, of course, uh, the uh, difference is between people who just because we don't have those capabilities today immediately jump to the conclusion that we are never going to have it. Mm. And the people who say, well, we will improve our capabilities. Actually, we are improving our capabilities exponentially. Mm -hmm. And then there are those people like me who are saying, we are joltingly improving our capabilities. The rate of acceleration with which we are improving our capabilities is itself increasing. Mm -hmm. um, Ray Kurzweil um, predicted uh, many years ago that uh, the first uh, um, human-level AI would have been available for uh, whatever amount of money was necessary uh, in uh, 2035, mm. and then at 2045, 10 years later, the cost for that amount of intelligence mm -hmm. uh, would be reduced uh, to about a thousand dollars. And uh, he himself, observing uh, recent advances in artificial intelligence, revised his projection for the first uh, uh, to to come closer to 2028. Mm -hmm. So uh, this is a, a, an illustration of the concept of jolting, the increasing rate of, uh, of acceleration of technology-based uh, technology uh, uh, change. Um, what about, uh, um, how do you, swallow swallowables? Ingestibles, we call them. Ingestibles. Right. Um, do, do you believe uh, they, they would be interesting as well, or? They serve a great data. So, uh, uh, coming from the technology side, uh, we think in terms of how you know the user experience and and how do we make the these technologies as simple as possible for users? How do we make them non-invasive? Which is why we want a device that you can inject and then you can use it for ten years. It's not worthwhile for people to get an implant and then have it replaced every three months. That's too much of a pain. I think a somewhat similar dimension applies to ingestibles. So should I swallow a device every day to have it log my uh, microbiome and you know any ulcers I may have in my stomach or other activities in there? Or is there quicker uh, non-invasive ways? Now, I am a big believer in smart toilets. I think that that is also a paradigm that will come into our homes. And I'm following a couple of very interesting startups working with similar technologies. Because you know what, David? Every day, every one of us are leaving a fantastic amount of smart health data, and we just flush it down the drain. So a smart toilet that would pick up, you know, if you lack any nutrients, if there are any, you know, shifts in your gut biome, if you may even have a certain virus or not, that can all be logged uh, in what we leave in the bathroom every day. And the cool thing with this technology is that the smart toilet is 100% non-invasive. People don't need to change a single habit because that's actually the hard part often. To innovate a technology is only one part. To make people use it and change their behavior is harder. And 
whatever innovation we can do that doesn't require people to change any of their habits are going to be so much more successful. So ingestibles are cool for certain applications, but I think for most of those applications, smart bathrooms are simply going to win because of the user convenience. And, uh, and, and certainly uh, adoption of technologies uh, also uh, is, is brought on by, by convenience. Uh, we are lazy mammals set in our ways. Uh, even those of us uh, curious and adventurous can only represent a, a, a tiny minority of the whole population. Otherwise, all our adventures uh, would kill too many. Uh, <laughs> and uh, and uh, so uh, natural selection makes it sure that, uh, that uh, the majority of people are skeptical when, when crazies uh, like you and me come and say, yeah, do this, do that, it's fun. Let's, Let's the future. Go. Let's yeah. do it. Uh, it is very natural for the majority of people to say, well, why don't you do it? And, and then I will see uh, if, if uh, you don't die, I may do it too. Mm -hmm. And so um, this has been a, a, a wonderful conversation. And uh, I am sure that... Uh, when I am showing it live uh, in a few hours, uh, our viewers will have had questions that at that time I will have answered. But when later on you watch the recording of that future live stream, you can see the questions in the comments and you can endeavor answer them too. So I don't know if you can interpret the intricate uh, time braids uh, of this paradoxical description exactly. and explanation, <laughs> but uh, uh, whichever uh, time slice uh, uh, your uh, self is now inhabiting, uh, what matters is that what you are doing with passion and creativity for the benefit uh, of, of humanity flourishes. And, and that is what I... I wish for you and, and, and great success. Thank you very much, David. It's been, as usual, fantastic to, to talk with you. So, so this was uh, the recording of my conversation with uh, Hannes uh, a few hours ago. And uh, it uh, also gave me the, the opportunity of uh, experimenting, right, uh, with uh, something uh, different, uh, sharing um the conversation uh, that is near real time uh, and um, provides me with a bit of flexibility uh, with respect of the needs of uh, the guest so that uh, uh, I can share exciting uh, things and thoughts and products and services and uh, uh, interact with uh, uh, our guests uh, as as well as you uh, Tomorrow, uh, we are going to have uh, two live streams. Uh, those of you who speak uh, Italian are uh, welcome to join uh, at uh, 4 p.m. Italian time uh, to speak about the future of design with uh, my friend uh, Lee, who will be actually waking up <laughs> very early uh, because uh, he is uh, connecting from uh, Palo Alto. So he, I expect he will wake up at 6 a.m. Um, 
fire up his brain, whatever he needs uh, to, to do in the morning in order for his brain to, to start working. And then he will join us at 7 a.m. Uh, to, to be live and talk about the future of design. And uh, um, searching for the question live 34 uh, is going to be with uh, Stephen Wolfram. And uh, Stephen um, and I have known each other uh, for uh, a long time. Uh, and uh, he last week launched uh, his uh, latest uh, project the uh, the physics project uh, and uh, i will be very very excited uh, to to talk uh, about this uh, with him uh, because it is something that uh, he has been planning for uh, for a long time uh, it, it he is one of those people who are able to really very smartly mix uh, what he does and what he does it with so that the tools become the ladder to build better tools. It is similar, and I may ask him tomorrow um, if he believes that the comparison is, is uh, applicable. It is a bit similar to when uh, Elon Musk says, that the gigafactory is the machine that builds the machine. And, and, and I go a step further because um, I believe, and, and we will see uh, if it is true, that uh, actually the machine that builds the machine that builds the machine matters as well. So how do you uh, um, improve the efficiency with which you build more gigafactories? And... Um, the same uh, abstraction layers can also be seen in artificial intelligence where rather than programming what machines must do, we are now uh, at the point where the machines learn how to learn how to learn. And we need to bring them to the fourth layer to learn how to learn, how to learn, how to learn. And you can go back uh, to a previous episode of uh, searching for the question live with uh, uh, Roman Jampolski, where we define exactly what these four layers actually mean and why they all matter. So what did uh, uh, Stephen Wolfram uh, do? He uh, created uh, more than 30 years ago uh, Mathematica, um like mathematics with a with a uh, with with an a uh, to make it sound latin um which is a symbolic computation engine and platform and programming language now uh the wolfram language and and so many other things uh wolfram alpha for example which is the symbolic search engine and uh, he used those tools to build better tools to keep searching for what he's curious about. Uh, in particular, the computational foundations of science and in the physics project, the computational foundations of physics. 
we will have whatever amount of time. I mean, uh, the 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 episode, uh, uh, each episode of Searching for the Question Live is is about an hour, and uh, I always tell uh, the guests uh, uh, that uh, if they get bored, uh, the secret uh, sign to end it faster is is this right um and uh, and um i also tell them the opposite that uh, if they have uh, fun and and uh, they have time we can keep going now stephen is known for three hour long uh, live streams you know fidel castro style almost uh, i think he would go for five or six uh, but there was no internet so nobody knows uh, but um Stephen uh, lives on 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 the internet. He's a remote uh, CEO and has been forever. And uh, I am sure we will not be able to exhaust the depth and the breadth of uh, the topics uh, in 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 one conversation. So I I will have a hard time having him back. That's for sure. Uh, but uh, I may take clips and then comment myself what I believe the implications of the things that we are saying are based on those various clips. So just to give you an advanced uh, flavor uh, of, of what this physics project is, he uh, believes that at 10 to the minus 100, maybe, or 10 to the minus 200 orders of magnitude, so not meters, not centimeters, not uh, millimeters, not uh, micrometers, not nanometers, not picometers, not femtometers, but way, way, way below, way, way, way smaller smaller than anybody dared to think, there is no space, no time, but relationships between nodes in a network where a certain rule spontaneously generates complexity that gives rise to the phenomena that we call space and time, but also to the theoretical structures that we call general relativity or quantum mechanics or the physical objects that we call electron or proton or neutrino and so on. It is uh, an absolutely fascinating and a mind-bogglingly ambitious uh, project. And uh, there are really just uh, an unending uh, uh, number of, of, of implications um, uh, around it. So, yes, I am very excited about uh, tomorrow's conversation. Um, and, uh, and I am... Uh, I am going to have fun in uh, in talking with uh, with Stephen about it. Uh, also, uh, it is uh, the uh, tenth anniversary 
uh, of uh, uh, the conference that uh, uh, I organized at uh, in, at Harvard University together with uh, uh, with um, uh, Alex Lightman, where uh, together with Ray Kurzweil uh, uh, and, and and many other friends, uh, Stephen was uh, uh, one of our speakers. And um, uh, where where are the speakers? Uh, schedule speakers. There you go. Um, and and there was Stephen. Uh, and and the, the 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 talk he gave was uh, was very very cool. Um, he spoke about computation and the future of uh, human condition, uh, of, of why uh, what we do matters and how fundamentally it may matter. And, and you can read it uh, uh, here uh, as well in advance of, uh, of uh, tomorrow's, uh, uh, tomorrow's uh, meeting. Um, Maurizio is commenting, uh, could be refined uh, string theory too. Uh, yes, um, uh, obviously he is not uh, against uh, the uh, terminology and the establishment uh, of uh, academia and uh, academic uh, researchers because um, uh, definitely, as as all of us, uh, he is also building on on things that uh, existed before. Uh, we will uh, we will um, have the chance of uh, hopefully asking those questions as well. Even though I am interested not only and not as much in um, specifically what the physics projects means, but the, the 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 questions on the meta meta layer uh, uh, was it an accident that he was able to uh, create the tool that creates the tool or uh, even if he were to choose music as his profession rather than physics and and, and computer science and software engineering uh, would he be a creator of musical instruments that were, I don't know, I don't know if the analogy holds. Uh, I am still working on the on the questions uh, to to send, uh, or 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 to to ask. Um, talking about sending, if you have uh, questions, uh, since um, it not often happens, but I am publishing and starting to publish guests that are coming uh, in the next few days absolutely feel free to list questions that I should be asking. One of the variants of my slogan, maybe the original variant is, what is the question that I should be asking, right? It is a bit clunkier than searching for the question. So what is the question that I should be asking, uh, uh, Stephen, um, Stephen Wolfram? Let me know, uh, put it in the comments. Uh, uh, on on any of the platforms, and uh, and I will ask him uh, those questions. All right, um, and uh, and tune in uh, tomorrow for learning about the guest 
for the next day as well because we already have a very exciting guest uh, for friday too uh, but i will announce it uh, tomorrow uh, and and uh, i i hope you will you will like it and you will appreciate it so um that's it for today thank you very much and uh, see you tomorrow with uh, stephen wolfram <laughs>